Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Well, Micah shared something last week, and he called it post-literate society. And kind of, if, if I could just zero it in, great message, but um, if I could just zero it in, is he talked about the importance of knowing the Bible and the end results to prioritizing God's word in my life. Are you with me on that? Is, the, it, is it super, super important? And I want to flow in the same vein of knowing the Bible, but I want to talk today, and I know I, I think they might put it up. This is long, tried to boil it down, was unable to boil it down, so you're just going to have to ride this horse with me, okay? But the seeing and embracing the process, they, didn't, they thought it was too long, so they didn't put it up. <laughs> seeing and embracing the process of stepping into what God has promised for my life. See, I think sometimes in our life is we can get into God's word and see a promise, and maybe we've got an area that is deficient or an area that's lacking, and we can see a promise, but what we must realize is we have to embrace the process for that promise to come to pass in our life. I wished that I could just say that you open your Bible, you read a verse, it gives you a promise, and wham, you get it. Just like that. How many of you know? But the growth is in following God and growing in it. You know, to put it very simply, how do they do that? How does it happen? How does it happen from me learning God's word, growing in my relationship, and seeing what he's promised in an area. The Bible tells me that all of the promises in the word of God, and somebody I heard this week said that there's over 8,400 promises in the Bible as it pertains to my personal life. That's a lot of promises, over 8,400. And the Bible tells us that all of the promises of God to us are yes and so be it. In other words, that's God's take on the promises. He's saying yes. But the practical side from knowing to seeing what God has promised is more than just knowing about it. It's more than just, oh yeah, I know about it. Let me just give you an example. Um, This was a lot of years ago, like maybe 15 or 17 years ago. And, um, And somebody came to me and their daughter went here to church. And their daughter went to church, and I had seen them, but just a few times, but not very often. And they came to me, and they said, my daughter goes to your church, and I found a gal that I want to get married to, and so I want you to marry us. And so I said, okay, you know, and as we began to talk, I, I learned that they had been a Christian for 20 years. They had served the Lord, or I mean, they said they, were, they had been a Christian and loved God for, for 20 years. And as we began to talk is I found out that this was their fourth marriage. They were, this was the fourth time that they were getting married. Now, let me just really be clear about this. There's no condemnation in Christ. Are you with me? How many of you know what I'm saying? Everybody makes mistakes and so forth and so on. But, I, but as I began to explain to them that you have to go through premarital counseling before I'll marry you, um, <laughs> 
they, they looked at me and they informed me, this is how I knew, this was their fourth marriage and they didn't need all that and they used some explicitives. How many of you know what I'm saying? I don't need all that blankety blank blank. I have been married four times and I've got it down. That's what they said to me. <laughs> now how many of you know there's a difference between knowing it and having it down? You know what I'm saying? And I remember, I, I remember, see, there's a difference between having a promise in an area of my life and experiencing that promise in a real, practical, tangible, life-changing way. There's a, there's a, big, there's, there's a big difference. And you want to know what happened with that person? I didn't marry him. They went and found somebody else. And then two years later, their daughter came and told me they got divorced from that person too. So they were going on number five. Is, you know, it's, it's almost like there's this misnomer that knowing the Bible changes my life. If I just know the Bible, it'll change my life. I'm just going to tell you that is not true. That is not a true statement. The Bible says Satan knows the Bible. He quoted it to Jesus. That's like going to Lowe's and buying a pack of green bean seeds and coming home and putting them on the shelf and then saying they never grew anything and it, they didn't work. They were bad seeds. How many of you know what I'm saying? See, we have to do something with the promise. We, we've got to take it off of the, of the shelf. Realize this, that Jesus has already paid for and supplied us with all of the seeds that we need to grow a great life. He's already paid for it. It's already, he's already provided it. We have to go through the process now of prepping the soil, planting them, watering them, fertilizing them, valuing them enough to protect them from the pests and the dogs that would like to pee on them and kill them. How many of you are with me on that? And we, we have to be able to stop. See, there's a scripture that people used to quote a lot, and they don't quote it anymore if you've been a Christian for maybe a long time you've heard it, but it's Hosea 4, 6, and it says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And uh, the, another translation says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And we look at that and we say, oh, they just didn't know. But if you drill down into the context, what it is, is God said, no, you know, but you have a lack of acting knowledge on what you know. And so it's not benefiting you. It's not changing your life because you're not acting, realizing, I think, I think my life, your life, every one of our lives, by and large, is the result of the seeds that we have allowed to get planted in my soul and in the soil of my life. This is intentional and unintentional. Sometimes things happen to us and we, the way that we respond and react and, and maybe thought processes and reasonings is seeds get planted in the, soul, in the soil of our life. That's the way that it is. You know, when you think about this for a moment, is every one of us, and I like to say it like this, but there are gates to get into the soul of my life. There's gates, and I am in charge of those gates. 
Nobody else is in charge. I'm in charge of those gates. And when you think about it, is we've got to guard those gates from getting stuff into our soul, especially if we want to experience what God has promised. And those gates, and I'm just going to give you three right off the top of my head, is my ears, what I listen to over my life. It is a gate to getting into my soul. What I allow myself to listen to, it realize that I will begin to believe it. My eyes, that's another gate. What I see, what I look at, what I observe, it's a gate to getting into my soul. Another gate is experiences, things that we've been through that have affected how we see ourselves and how we reason about our future in life where we stop and we realize and we say, well, I have got to maintain. I can't control what everybody does, but what I can control is the gate that gets into the soul of my life. And I have to guard what I let get into my soul because what we're going to see in God's word is what I let get into my heart and into my soul is what grows in my life. And I can love God, but it's huge views and perceptions. And so what I want to do is I want to give four thoughts this morning to help me see what God has promised for my life. Four thoughts that if I will pay attention and I will begin to cultivate this in my life, it will help me see what God has promised. Because I, this goes unsaid. Everybody here wants more of what God has promised. Can we agree on that? Everybody here. Now let me just throw this out. Everybody here probably has an area that kicks their butt. How many of you know what I'm saying? Nobody says, amen. Nobody's like, you know what I'm saying? Every one of us has a weakness or a bend or whatever, and we're saying, God, change that. Lord, I need you to fix that. Lord, can you help me with that? I promise you this, that if when we give these four thoughts, their truths, as you apply them to their life, you will begin to see progressive change in those areas of your life. Number one is this, is everything starts with seeds. Everything starts. As I said earlier, my life is made up in large part by the seeds that I have rooted in my thinking and in my reasoning. And I'm just going to throw this little caveat out there is that for a large part, the way that we were brought up as children all the way up through is we were programmed in certain ways to believe certain things because of beliefs, because of views, because of experiences, because of the way that maybe we were parented. There's no parents that are perfect. Are you with me with that? There's no parents that are perfect except for my wife. I'm kidding. Okay, but what it is... (laughs) But what it is, notice I said, except for my wife, I did not include myself in there. (laughs) But everything starts with seeds. And I want to give you, and I want you, they're going to put them up on the screen, but I want to give you, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures about this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 through verse 25, it says, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Think about that statement. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Verse 24, as the scriptures say, people are like grass. 
Their beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. How many of you have noticed that natural things just deteriorate? There used to be a pastor on staff here, and he had this statement. My wife just emphatically disagreed with him. But he said, everybody gets ugly when they get old. That's what he said. That's what he said. He said that to her, and she's like, no, they don't. No, they don't. But how many of you know everything breaks down? Every, every, everything, everything breaks down. Now, look at what it said. So it said everything natural. People are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower. You know, I don't know about you, but man, my hair is relocating. How many of you know what I'm saying? It is leaving the places I want, and it is prolifically growing in places I don't want. My wife will say things, you need to trim your nose. (laughs) Or your your ears, or something like that. I'm like, I never had that problem 30 years ago. Never had that problem. How many of you men can say men? No, I just said men. I didn't say ladies. Okay, look at what it says now. Verse 25. But the word of the Lord, it remains forever. God's word is the only thing that is eternal, the only thing that doesn't change, the only thing that doesn't diminish, the only thing that cultures, civilizations, times, people, preferences change. But God's word, it doesn't change. It says in the King James says, verse 23, like this, that we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You know, the seed of God's word, which is is his view and his way of thinking, never diminish in their ability to produce in my life. They never diminish. They don't have a shelf life. They never diminish. Any situation, any culture, any country, anywhere, God's word is stronger. No matter what's going on in your life, God's word is stable and stronger than anything you've been through, anything you will go through, and anything you will ever face. And what he wants you to do is to believe that. To believe that. That is why Satan tries to distort the word of God. Jesus said in Mark 4 that Satan comes immediately after the word that is sown in my heart. You say, how could he come after the word that is sown in my heart? If you read it, he uses all kinds of things because he knows that the word and the promise of God, it is incorruptible, it will never d- diminish, it will never lose its power, and if we begin to base our life on the promises of God, our life will be stable, it will move forward, it doesn't mean we won't have a bad day, but we will always overcome. We will always overcome. In Genesis chapter 3, when, when Eve tempted Satan, or I mean Satan tempted Eve. How many of you know Eve didn't tempt Satan? <laughs> when Satan tempted Eve, do you remember what he said? He twisted the word of God. You can't eat from any tree of the garden. That's not what God said. He twisted when uh, Satan tempted Jesus. The number one attack was to twist the Bible. 
cast yourself down, for God said. But then Jesus quoted, told Satan what the word said in context. What it said in context. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. God, how are you going to do that? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. I think so many times we focus, oh, don't do. God's not talking to you about don't do. God's saying fill up with his perspective, and it will change the way that you think. It will change. See, renewing our mind to how God thinks in his word is day by day by day. It's every day. My mind and my thinking are so important. And the reason they're so important is my mind connects between spiritual and natural. It is the connection. We live in a natural world. God is a spirit. The Bible tells us his word is spiritual. It transforms the natural. But my mind is the connection between the two. If God gives me a promise and my mind doesn't agree or doesn't embrace my natural doesn't change but if God gives me a promise and I chew on it in my thinking in my reasoning and in my soul and I begin to believe and think in agreement with it God transforms my natural he totally transforms my natural and so realize this that my thinking my reasoning it's the connection it is the connection between God you said this see this is why maybe we're sitting here today and we can look in an area and say I've been believing God in this area it could be that it just takes time it's a process God is growing it but it equally could be that you see the promise but you're not meditating on the word to change the image on the inside of you and so all that you see is the old instead of what God has promised in the future in the new it's huge you know, we have experiences and we have images in our, in our mind and in our heart because of those experiences, and we have imaginations based on those images. I get it. I understand. But look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through verse 5. It says, for though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, that's kind of like back there in 1 Peter, grass of the field, flowers, everything fades. He said, we, now look at this statement. We are not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using the weapons of man. I think it's interesting that God, he begins to talk to us about a warfare. You know, y'all, we're not just the love boat. We're a battleship too. Thank you. I said, we're not just the love boat. We're a battleship too. That's what he said right there. The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Now look at this statement. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now what I want you to notice is that the weapons God supplies, what they do is they, they destroy fortresses. In verse 5, he begins to talk about what those fortresses are. We are destroying sophisticated arguments 
and every exalted and proud thing that sets it up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought. How many thoughts? How many? God said, I need you. I real, Mike, I've given you promises, but i got to get you to take every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. So our warfare is not physical, it's not flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual warfare. And he said, you're destroying fortresses in your life, but those fortresses, look at what he said, they are arguments, they are proud thoughts. He said that they, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He said, you're beginning to take captive Every thought, not half of your thoughts, not 25% of your thoughts, not 75% of your thoughts, but 100% of your thoughts, and you're laying them next to what God has promised, the knowledge of God, what he's promised you'll do. He said you're laying them next to and making sure that they're in agreement and in obedience with what God says. Matthew 6, Jesus talked about the person that, he talked about two houses, And he said, one of them dug down deep and laid their foundation on the rock. Speaking of Jesus in his word. In James 1.23 through verse 25, it says this. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Now, I want you to think about this. The Bible says that God's word is a mirror. How many of you have ever been to those mirrors that are like probably all of us? They kind of contort, stretch, wide, skinny. How many of you know what I'm saying? What I want you to notice is God's mirror makes you look better. God's mirror is the true reflection of you with the promises married to it. God's mirror of his word is that when we look into it, it's like, whoa, God, you see me that way. Look at this, verse 24. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, verse 24, I mean, I'll go 24. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, and this is what God does, that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. See, God's word is a mirror. And when we walk up and look in the mirror, we know what we naturally look like. But when we look in the mirror of God's word, we get a glimpse of how God sees us. We get a glimpse of God's promises in the areas of our life. And God says, don't just glance at it and forget it but I need you to apply it in order to experience it in your life. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says this, Every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Now look at what it does. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. You know, today, there's an attack on the Bible. There's an attack on the Bible. You say, what do you mean? There is an attack. There is an all-out attack on the Bible. You say, why is that? Because the Bible 
is as powerful today as the moment that it was spoken through Jesus, through the prophets, and through everybody else. We read it. It never diminishes in power. It is the same. It never diminishes in power. And so what Satan does is he tries to distort it so that what we're believing in and over our lives and our future isn't linked to God's word, but something that we've just kind of taped together, glued together, and band-aid together. And rather than agree with the Bible, what our, I believe our culture and our society are doing today is we want the Bible to agree with us. We want the Bible to agree with whatever we want. Let me tell you, God gets to define right and wrong. I don't define right and wrong. God gets to define right and wrong. And you say, why is that? Because he's the only one qualified. All of us have a dog in the hunt. All of us have a preference. All of us have a bend. How many of you know what I'm saying? And it's called us. God is the only one that gets to define what, what is right and and what is wrong. And I want to just go a level further. All of us are messed up. Try it again. I said all of us are messed up. You, and you say, well, I'm not really that messed up. Well, you, if you think that, then you're messed up more than you think you are. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a condemning way, but that's why we came to Jesus. We came to Jesus because we were very aware that we were messed up. We were very aware that we, and we've got bends and we've got tendencies in our life. And when everything breaks down is when we give our life to the Lord and then we get to, hit, we get to tell him what we agree with and what we don't agree with in his word and we begin to change it. We can't change the Bible. We must agree with it in order for it to change us. And if we don't agree with it, then it doesn't change us. God gets to define right from wrong. And what we've got to simply understand in our heart and in our life is that, you know, we live in a world today that morality is changing. God gets to define morality. He gets to define marriage. Not me, not you, not any group, not any club. God gets to define what it looks like, the way that it functions. And the moment that I leave his definition, it begins to creep in every area of my life. And what God is saying is my word is powerful my word is eternal my word will not my word will not diminish he said just look at your face in a mirror you are like a flower in a blade of grass you look great today but you're wrinkling up tomorrow he said my word will be stable it will be more stable than anything else don't let anybody change what God says because if you let them change what God says then whatever our belief is becomes Lord and not Jesus I'm running. <laughs> Two is this. Identify with truth, not weeds. <laughs> in, in my opinion, one of the greatest struggles that we have is that we've got limitational thinking based on experiences and thinking that we identify with more than what God says. This is a yes, but response to God. Now, I just, I know all of us right now have an area of our, in our life. Can we all agree with that? And please, God's not condemning. He's lifting. He comes to breath, breathe fresh air into that area of our life. But a yeah, but response to God 
is, God, your word works for everybody else and in every other situation, but not mine. It won't work here. And realize this, that God will always challenge the yeah, but mentality. And the reason is, is it sits on the lordship of my life. That's what it does. This situation, God, is the exception to your word. Oh, Lord, my husband is the exception to your word. My wife, my kids, my boss, my struggle, my problems, the things that I'm facing, they're the exception, God, to your word. No, nothing is the exception to his word. We see, and what it is, is we think our situation is bigger. Look at what it says in James 1.22. But prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts and not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning. Look at that statement, internalize its meaning. And then look at what the next statement he said, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. Am I willing to challenge my thinking and reasoning with the truths of the Bible? Am I willing? Am I willing to be, I've got to challenge. I've got to internalize. I've got to internalize. Okay, God, this is what you say about my situation. This is what you say. I believe it. I don't know how. That's not what I've experienced. But I'm going to look into your perfect law of liberty that sets me free. And I'm going to begin to meditate and think on it. Number three is this, is protect your heart. Heart is my inside, seeing, reasoning, and trusting. Proverbs 4.23 says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Realize God doesn't control the course of my life. What I let in my heart determines the course of my life. I think we can love God and we say, God, I just trust you. And you. God says, okay, what you let in your heart, your inside seeing, reasoning, and trusting. I cannot control what other people say and what other people do to me. I can't control some things that life throws at me. But what I can control is what I let get in my heart, my internal thinking, my internal believing, my internal reasoning, and what I believe about myself. And I have got to determine that I'm going to lead my heart and not let anybody else control my heart. I'm going to lead what I believe about myself. Look at the statement he said, above all that you guard, guard your heart. The last one, number four, is this, is let God work the quit out of any area his word gives me a promise. Let him just work the quit out of it. You say, why? Because the enemy will try to discourage you. He will try to knock you down. He will try to get you to doubt. It would, it's probably a well-worn road with a whole bunch of bruises and broken bones in that area of your life. Realize this, God is greater than anything that you've been through. And what he wants to do is work the quit out of that area that he has given you a promise. In John 8, Jesus said to those who were following him, it says they were believers and they were following him. He said, if you 
continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I think it's interesting. It's right around verse 32. I think that's interesting is it says they were believers and they were following Jesus. But Jesus said to that same group, you've got to have a continuing heart, a continuing life in my word. He said, and what's going to happen is, is it will reveal the truth and that truth will set you free. See, coming to Jesus and giving my life to him in an altar call or through an experience is only the first step to the freedom that God has for my life. It is only the first step to experience the promises that God has for our lives is we've got to learn his processes that he uses to bring his life into my life. I've got to experience his promises. We've got to stop and say, okay, God, Lord, I want you to do it instantly. I want you, but Lord, I'm open to the process. What I've got right now, Lord, is you've given me the seed, a promise from your word. It's incorruptible. It will never diminish. It will always produce, and it will always grow what you say. I know that, God, but how many, I'm one of those people that I like it instant. How many of you are with me? It, recently, we moved, and the microwave we have is slower than our last microwave. How many of you know what I'm saying? The old one could heat up a cup in a minute and a half. This one takes two minutes. It takes two minutes. How many of you? It's like, what is going on? Do we need a new microwave? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If we don't watch it, we bring that to God. God, you've got a minute and a half. He's like, excuse me, you, you took 40 years to build this. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I, I don't, I'm a, not only want to fix that, but I want to transform the way that you think so that when I fix that, your thinking doesn't call it back into your life. It doesn't create an environment where it calls it back. You know, that in Genesis chapter 8, after the flood, it says that God said to Noah that as long as the earth remains, there's going to be this process called seed time and harvest, summer and winter. What are all that? That's, that is a process in our life. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven it's like one that casts seed on the ground and then continues rising and sleeping night and day. And he said, first there's the seed, then there's the sprout, then there's the blade, then there's the ear, then there's a full grain in the ear, and then there's a harvest. What is all of that? It's a process. It's a process in our life. And a great life is one that embraces God's process. Stand to your feet. Again.